That's a good day when you get a shout out. Uh, a couple of quick announcements before we uh, dive into the message this morning. Uh, just to give you an update about the barn, uh, as we shared with you a number of weeks ago, it does look like we're going to continue to meet here, but that contract has not been finalized yet. We're waiting to receive that back uh, from the county. Once we receive the contract back, we'll take a look at it. Assuming all things are a go, we give that back to them. And then there's a 30-day uh, period where um, it's, it's kind of required on their end to do that, to kind of open things up for 30 days. And then they come back together as a county. Uh, they, they vote. We've been told that that is essentially a formality, but I am a big fan of praying for formalities. And so um, if you could be praying about that in the days and the weeks ahead, um, just as, as a church family, ask, asking the Lord for us to continue to be able uh, to meet here, would certainly appreciate that. Simultaneously, we continue to raise funds for a permanent facility. Uh, if you're a part of our church family, you may know that we purchased six and a half acres of land adjacent to this property uh, a little over a year ago, and we are looking to build. We are seeking to raise $398,000 in order to start moving the dirt. Uh, up until this point, 165000 has come in. And so we're just trusting and praying that God uh, would bridge that gap. And once he does that, we'll, uh, we'll, start, uh, we'll start moving dirt and start building. We really see that building uh, is a tool to be used by God to point people to Jesus. We believe that God has strategically placed us in this community for a reason and for a purpose. And so we're trusting in that facility uh, would be used by God to point other people to his son. So uh, be praying about those things uh, in the days ahead. I know that you will. Uh, we're excited to see what God does. Well, dads and moms, a question for you. Do you remember where you were when you found out that you were expecting? Oh, I'm supposed to dismiss the kids. That's, uh, in football, they would throw a flag and they would say, that's a false start. And so the flag has been thrown. It's a false start. Kids were getting nervous. I saw it on their faces. They're like, are we going to have to stay for this thing? <laughs> you don't, but your parents do. Uh, we'll miss you, kids. Goodbye. Is now a good time? Can I? Can I? Okay, good. Uh, moms and dads, question for you. Do you remember where you were when you first found out that you were expecting? Or maybe a better question would be, moms, uh, do you remember where you were when you first found out uh, that you were expecting? News of... Pregnancy is often met with great joy, and when couples receive good news, they have a tendency to share uh, the good news, sometimes in fun and creative ways. Take, for instance, uh, this announcement, two avocados over my shoulders. I, I like that. I like avocados. I think it's cute. This apparently was taken during that small 45-minute window when avocados do not turn brown. Um, they're making, yeah, it's true. There's a short window there. You got to catch those things. Uh, I, I thought that was a cute announcement. If you already have a child and you, know, you get pregnant, a lot of times you'll use the first child to announce the coming of the second child. I came across this announcement I thought was uh, relatively cute uh, from this kid. Man, as cute as a button. Every superhero needs a sidekick. Every superhero needs a sidekick. There was actually a picture taken after his brother or sister came uh, of, of him trying to take out his sidekick. 
because uh, he wanted nothing to do with the sidekick. But this is before the sidekick came. Uh, that's cute. And other people just keep it real. Right? And this couple right here, they're just keeping it real. You know? <laughs> like he's excited. You know, she's hunkering down for many long, long months. When you hear good news, uh, you share the good news. Uh, those announcements are fun to see. And you know, there was an announcement about 2,000 years ago uh, that was incredibly unique. Um, and it's never happened again. And there has been no announcement really before then or after them that was made in quite the same way. Uh, 2,000 years ago, the God of the universe, a, a promise-keeping God, uh, came to a very unimpressive place, uh, to a seemingly unspectacular person, uh, to announce the coming of a great Savior. Uh, it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 1, and so if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Uh, you can follow along on the screen if you don't have a copy of the Scriptures. If you have the Version app on your phone, uh, you can click on Version, go to events, and look at Christ Point Church, and you can follow along uh, with the passage on, on your phone as well. But Luke chapter 1, verse 26 reads, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. And, angel, or, and Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The first thing that we notice from the text is that God is a promise-keeping God. God is a promise-keeping God. The virgin birth uh, is implied in the Old Testament as early as Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, uh, where there is a promise made. It's, it's the first uh, evidence of the gospel message that comes after the fall. We read in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Behold, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. According to Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 through 23, this prophecy was fulfilled in Mary. She is called a virgin in Luke chapter 1, verse 27. The Greek term normally referred to an unmarried woman of marriageable, uh, of marriageable age. 
Uh, Mary, though, did not conceive this child through ordinary means, but through uh, the Holy Spirit. This was God's miraculous intervention, producing offspring uh, without a human father. This doctrine of the virgin birth stands at the heart of the person and work, person and saving work of God. Without the virgin birth, uh, there would be no salvation for sinners. Uh, Jesus would have been a sinful person, uh, being born of a sinful human couple. But this uh, virgin birth did occur, uh, and it is because God of the universe spoke it into existence. It is an essential part of your salvation and mine. Uh, Jesus was born to a virgin, and he was born in the line of David. You heard the passage read earlier by grace, for to us a child is born, uh, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, a Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In the very beginning of God's story, uh, we are told, we are reminded that a Savior would come. Uh, the Old Testament prophecies all look forward uh, to the coming of Jesus. Uh, the New Testament announces and shouts uh, his arrival for a watching and weary world. Um, this is the hope uh, that people had been anticipating since the beginning of time. And, and this story in part reminds us that God is a promise-keeping God. What God said he would do, he actually did. Uh, the Bible is full of the promises of God. Uh, one author who studied scripture suggested that there are 30,000 promises in the Bible, being that there are just over 31,000 verses. That seems to be a little aggressive to me, a little evangelistic in the numbers, uh, but I think it's safe to say that there are many uh, there was a theologian from Canada roughly 50 or 60 years ago who took to task to reading the Bible and charting all of the promises of God, and he found 8,810 uh, promises. Uh, regardless of what that number is, I can assure you that there are countless promises. Promises to individuals, uh, promises to people, and promises uh, to you and uh, to me. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His previous and very great promises. Christ point, you know that God is a promise-keeping God. When fear and doubt uh, creep into our hearts, into our minds, uh, it is important to remember that God can be trusted, um, that God keeps his promises, that he doesn't overpromise and underdeliver, that if he says he is going to do it, uh, he 
will do it. All the promises of God are true and can be trusted. And so I just want you to listen to a few of them of this morning and have your hearts encouraged. The scripture teaches us that God will strengthen you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. You ever feel weak before? Do you ever feel at the end of your rope? Do you ever feel exhausted or tired? Do you ever wonder if you'll have the strength uh, to put one foot in front of the other to keep moving? Uh, God's word promises that God will strengthen you. God's word promises that he will give us rest. Then Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Uh, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. You ever need rest for your soul before? Do you ever feel like life moves at such a pace uh, that you nearly <laughs> constantly feel exhausted or weary? Do you ever feel like you're on the treadmill of accomplishment and you are stuck and you, you long for the God of the universe to give you his very rest? Scripture promises that he will give it to us. Uh, God promises to take care of you. He promises to be with you. Joshua 1.5, I will not fail you or abandon you. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do you ever feel lonely before? Do you ever feel like you're, you're kind of doing life all by yourself? Do you ever find yourself in a room full of people, and yet you wonder if anyone really knows you or sees you? Do you ever find circumstances or situations in life that seem too big for you and you feel isolated and alone? Uh, God promises uh, to be with you and give you uh, his strength. God promises that nothing can separate you from him, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In a world where it seems like all good things come to an end, God's love for you uh, does not. In Christ, you will never be separated from the God of the universe. God had, has promised it uh, to you and to me. Uh, God promises to give you everlasting life for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him uh, should not perish but have eternal life. If you have thought about death, if you have considered death, if you have faced death, um, God promises you uh, that to die in Christ is to truly truly live. Eternal life 
awaits you and me. Uh, In a world where our promises, where our best of intentions are oftentimes unreliable or flimsy, uh, God's promises are true and can be trusted. And so this news given to Mary was both an announcement and it was a reminder. Uh, It was an announcement that a Savior uh, was coming, that He was drawing near, and it was a reminder that God keeps His promises. Uh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus uh, entered into the world, and we are reminded that God is a promise-keeping God. He is a promise-keeping God who apparently saw fit to go to a very unspectacular place. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Think about it, the setting of this great announcement that drew near, that drew amazement from the first century Jewish readers uh, happened because the angel Gabriel ignored Judea, the heartland of God's work through the centuries, and came to Galilee, a land that quite honestly was subject to Jewish contempt. The angel not only bypassed Judea for Galilee, but the city of Jerusalem uh, for the village of Nazareth. Nazareth was considered a non-place. It was a non-place. It was not even mentioned in the Old Testament. Historian Josephus, who wrote widely, um, did not mention it in his writings, nor will you find it in rabbinical writings. It wasn't until 1962 uh, where pre-Christian mention of Nazareth was found at Caesarea Maritima. The later prominence of the town was a result of the spread of the Christian gospel. One author describes Nazareth as a shoddy, corrupt, halfway stop between the port cities of Tyre and Sidon that was overrun by Gentiles and Roman soldiers. When Nathaniel mentioned Nazareth, Uh, In the Gospel of John, he said these words, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? In other words, nothing good is supposed to come from Nazareth. Uh, When I went to Jerusalem a number of years ago on a two-week study, we uh, went to Nazareth. We sat on a hillside and looked out at Um, this town. Even now, it's not necessarily the most impressive place uh, in the world. Today, it's home to roughly 60,000 Israeli Arabs. Uh, In Upper Nazareth, there are thousands of more uh, Jewish residents. Uh, Here's a modern-day picture of Nazareth uh, from the north. You might see some homes, maybe a little hustle and bustle. Here's a picture uh, from the south, Even less so, if you stumbled across it, if you saw it, it wouldn't necessarily stand out. Here's a picture of the Church of Annunciation, a Byzantine church that was built over the place where it is believed that the angel Gabriel announced the birth of Jesus uh, to the Virgin Mary. Uh, Nazareth was a relatively isolated village in the time of Jesus. Even now, you look at it and you go, well, 60,000, 65,000, 70,000 people? That's not insignificant. There's a few folks there. 
Uh, But in the time of Jesus, it was believed that the population of Nazareth was right about 200. 200. I mean, it's easy for us to be impressed by the big city, the bright lights, the hustle and bustle of activity. But even now, culturally, in our day and age, there's certain cities that, that happen to be moving, you know, where there's a lot of activity. You look at them and you go, man, that's where the action happens. You go to New York City, a city that never sleeps, and uh, you can leave at 11 o'clock at night on a Tuesday, and there's just as many people coming into the city as leaving the city. You go over to the West Coast, and you think of L.A. and the, the hustle and bustle and the traffic and the activity and the things to do and all of the people, and there's, there's just certain places that we look at and go, if anything significant is going to happen, it's going to happen there. Nobody would have looked at Nazareth and thought, man, if anything significant is going to happen, it's going to happen there. God oftentimes chooses people from non-places from unimpressive places, from forgotten places, uh, to do his very best work. When Billy and I were in Jordan, we met uh, two pastors uh, who had lived in Jordan a number of years ago for, uh, for a handful of years. And when they were there, they, they taught a church there, a, a model of evangelism and discipleship that I mean, is literally spreading across uh, the country. These are the guys that, quite honestly, you would expect to hear at Catalyst Conference, you know, the, the latest thing on church growth. I mean, they, the work that they have done and how God has used them is significant. Um, and, and these two men are pastors now, um, not in New York City, not in L.A., not Philly, not Boston, not Chicago. Uh, instead, they make their home in Wynn, Arkansas. Wynn, Arkansas, population 9,000. I don't know if you've been to Wynn, Arkansas lately. I don't know if you're from Wynn, Arkansas. Nothing against Wynn, Arkansas. But when Arkansas is the dictionary definition of a non-place. And yet, uh, God in his goodness and kindness uh, seemingly has rolled up his sleeves and said uh, to a watching world, hey, get a load of this. Watch what I'm going to do. God, our promise-keeping God, went to a very unimpressive place and chose a seemingly unimpressive, unspectacular person. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, 
to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. The angel Gabriel went to a non-place, Nazareth, uh, to meet with a seemingly unimpressive person. Um, let's be honest, in the world's eyes, Mary would have been not much. Uh, she was too young to know much of the world. She was too young to have com- accomplished much of anything. Uh, one commentator notes that according to the apocryphal gospel of the birth of Mary, she was 14 years old. Another source, the history of Joseph the carpenter, states that she was only 12. Uh, there is some debate as to her age, but most even conservative scholars would, would suggest that she was a young teenager. And as with most poor peasant girls, she likely, I don't know for sure, but she likely would have been illiterate. Her knowledge of the scripture being limited to what she had memorized at home or heard in the synagogue or from mom or dad. Uh, From all indicators, her life would not be extraordinary. She would likely marry humbly, uh, give birth Lord willing, to a handful of poor children. Uh, She would likely not travel much further than a few miles uh, from home. And one day, uh, she would uh, die like thousands of others before her. A a relative, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) But God. But God, what is, what is God doing? Don't miss it. The greatest news ever proclaimed in Israel or anywhere in the world uh, was given to the humblest of people. Mary said exactly that when she sang in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, My soul praises the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Uh, God oftentimes goes to the lowly and the humble. Uh, Mary recognized that there wasn't anything particularly impressive about her situation, and then one day the angel comes and greets her. Greetings, O highly favored one. Uh, the Lord is with you. What did Gabriel mean by this famous greeting? Uh, Many Roman Catholics read this greeting and take it to mean that Mary was full of God's grace, and because she was full of God's grace, uh, she would be a dispenser of God's grace, which is too strong of an interpretation. Uh, This translation gave rise to a medieval idea that Mary had every gift, not only spiritual but secular, even above those given to angels, resulting in the idea of Mary being a dispenser of grace, uh, resulting ultimately in prayers being offered to Mary. Uh, The ultimate extension of this came on December 8, 1854, when Pius IX declared the doctrine of what is called Immaculate Conception, teaching that from the first moment of her conception, the Blessed Virgin Mary was, by the singular grace and privilege of Almighty God, and in the view of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of mankind, kept from stain of original sin." 
Um, that doctrine is a distortion of what Scripture teaches. Mary doesn't dole out grace. Uh, we don't pray to Mary. Mary is not co-redeemer. Uh, Mary is not the Savior of the world along with Jesus. We distort the teaching of Scripture when we view her that way. And uh, Mary's role was not insignificant in the plan of God. Uh, Mary is, in fact, the most blessed of women. Therefore, the Blessed Virgin Mary is a fitting description of her. Mary said, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary was the only woman in, in billions of people who have walked the planet, uh, who have inhabited uh, our planet, who was chosen by God uh, to carry God the Son uh, for that, we must call her blessed. Hers, as theologians say, was the face that unto Christ had the most resemblance. The Savior bore some of her human features. Jesus' face could be seen in hers. Just because others have thought too much of Mary, that doesn't mean that we should think too little of her. It is appropriate to call her blessed. Gabriel's declaration to Mary is one of God's special favors and of his special presence. Rejoice, you highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Mary's response to Gabriel's greeting reveals another of uh, her heart's qualities. It says of Mary in verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The literal sense is that she kept pondering uh, what the angel's words truly did mean. Whatever Gabriel's glorious form was like, Mary was able to get past it in his greeting upon she meditated uh, his words in her heart. I mean, the picture is remarkable, isn't it? I mean, to, to think about it, we can't imagine what it would have been like uh, for young and inexperienced Mary uh, to hear those words and to ponder those words in her heart. It reminds me of Psalm 119.78 that says, I will meditate on your precepts. I will meditate on your words, O Lord. Uh, the story of Christmas is a story when a promise-keeping God went to an unimpressive place to a seemingly unspectacular person uh, to announce of the coming of a great Savior. Luke chapter 1, verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this in the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according uh, to your word. And the angel uh, departed from her. The Son of God, uh, the Savior, uh, the long-expected Jesus, the hope 
of mankind. How in the world uh, does this happen? It happens uh, because with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing's impossible with God. Uh, We considered this last week with the birth of John the Baptist. His birth was unlikely. Uh, This birth was miraculous. Uh, Zechariah questioned his news in unbelief. Uh, Mary pondered her news full of faith. I love what this story reminds us of the power of God. I love the words, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Son of God will be born to you uh, because nothing is impossible uh, with God. And then we see Mary's posture in this young and experienced teenage girl. And yet she responds with wisdom beyond her years. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according uh, to your word. Isn't it just like the God of the universe, a promise-keeping God to go to an unspectacular place uh, to choose a seemingly unimpressive young girl to give birth uh, to the Savior of the world? Nothing is impossible uh, with God. A church family, if you are here this morning, I want to encourage you, rest in the sure promises of God. Grow to know the promises of God, ponder them, remember them, cling to them. God is faithful to his word. He can be trusted. I guarantee you there will be a point in time in your life when you will need them. There there will be a point in time in your life when you will feel like you are holding on There will be a point in time in your life when you are desperate and you need God to show up and you need something more stable than your own fickle feelings to steady you. So know and cling uh, to the promises of God. Uh, If you are here this morning and you feel very unimpressive for whatever reason, maybe you are from an unimpressive place, or maybe you just feel as a person very unspectacular. Uh, Remember that there are times in life when God chooses uh, the elderly, those old, uh, to do amazing things, Uh, and there are times when he chooses the young, uh, the very young, uh, to change the course of human history. Um, This is the way uh, that God works. He does it all the time. Um, And that is very good news for you. And it's very good news for me. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father God, we give you thanks for uh, your grace and for your goodness to us. Thank you so much uh, that you are a God who has entered into this world. Uh, You travel to unspectacular places. You use seemingly unimpressive people uh, to to do a good work. Uh, You have done that in Jesus. He is our hope and he is our life. Uh, God, I pray that your sure promises would rest well in our hearts today. I pray that your faithfulness to your word would encourage us and would change us. Uh, God, thank you so much for the good work that you have done and the good work that you're doing. God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. One of the great joys we have as a church is to participate in communion. So communion is what commonly is referred to as the Lord's Supper. It's an opportunity for the people of God to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, his broken 
body and the blood that was poured out for us as believers of Jesus. And so communion is both a time of reflection and a time of celebration. And so we reflect on the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And we also celebrate and declare that we believe that he's coming again. So communion is an opportunity for us as a people of God to remember the work of God. So if you're here with us this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad that you joined us this morning. We welcome you and we're so glad you're here. Please know that when the, we participate in the elements, that there's no obligation to do so. This is something that our church family um, it has to declare and partake of together. But if you're here this morning and if you're a follower of Jesus, that means that you've trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, his perfect death, his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins, then we invite you to partake. And so around you, you'll find um, the elements, you'll find the juice, and you'll find the bread. So I'd ask you to take it and peel back the top layer that has the bread in it and take that out. And please pray with me as we give thanks to God for his broken body that was broken for us. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we thank you that, that you were perfect, that you chose to leave heaven and come and, and walk with us and, and to die a sinner's death and to take our place on the cross and uh, do what we could not do, and, uh, but that you didn't stay in the grave that you rose again. Um, thank you that you chose to do that. We thank you that you rose again and that salvation is a free gift that we can choose to just follow you. And so, God, we thank you that um, we get to celebrate that today. In your name, amen. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver for, to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me take the bread now let's give thanks uh, for the cup and this cup represents Jesus's blood that cleanses us from all of our sins. Jesus, we thank you um, that, that you were pierced, that you, you shed your blood for us. You took our place on the cross. You did what we couldn't do. There's no, we all sin. One sin separates us from you. There's nothing we can do to earn your favor. And yet you sent, God, you sent Jesus to, to die for us. And that if we choose to follow him, that we can have eternity with you. Thank you that, Jesus, you died for us. And that this blood represents your shed blood. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup 
is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink the cup. Jesus, we thank you for your people. Thank you for those who love you and are following you. I pray, God, for those who may not know you yet, but that you're calling them to you, God. I pray that you prick their heart and they would choose to follow you.